right now on Matter of Fact. At 19, this Louisiana woman was sentenced to 10 years in prison. We stole some cars and the dealership was burned down to cover up the crime. Now she's an advocate for people facing the challenges of re-entry. When you stand in front of a judge and you get sentenced, they don't tell you all of the other things you're gonna be denied. How her crusade for second chances took her from prison to a presidential pardon. Plus, a Milwaukee gallery owner bought the house next door to preserve her neighborhood. I said, would you be interested in me trying to buy it because I would like to keep you as a neighbor? A look at gentrification's impact on communities when people get priced out. And meet the architect who designed Tyler Perry's studios in Georgia and got inspired. We thought if he can do it with his community, I said to myself, um, we can do it. We visit the studio she's building to bring Latino stories to the screen. I'm Soledad O'Brien. Welcome to Matter of Fact. No one leaves prison intending to return, but re-entry into communities for the 600,000 people released each year from federal and state prisons is challenging. Many can't find housing or jobs or get access to education, especially when colleges require you to check a box declaring your criminal record on applications. More than half of U.S. colleges and universities currently require applicants to disclose prior convictions, even for nonviolent crimes, leading to significantly lower acceptance rates. Only a handful of states have reversed that requirement. Earlier this year, I visited with one woman in Louisiana who lobbied state officials to ban the box and won. It all began right here in Vachery, Louisiana, 50 miles from New Orleans, the country, as 42-year-old Sarita Steib calls it. Her mom was an attorney, then a judge. Her dad, a supervisor at an oil refinery. But it all started to fall apart when she left college and joined the U.S. Navy. During a trip to Texas, she was arrested for using fire to commit a felony. We actually went into a car dealership. We stole some cars, and in the commission of the actual crime, the dealership was burned down to cover up the crime. What would lead a kid who kind of has everything to crime at 19? I think what leads most women to prison, trauma and unresolved issues in your childhood. So I had the physical abuse as a child, and by the time I was 16, I had been sexually assaulted. By the time I was 19, I just really didn't care about myself or anything else. She was sentenced to 10 years in prison, serving nearly all of it, and ordered to pay $1.9 million in restitution. When you stand in front of a judge and you get sentenced, they say you're gonna do X, Y, Z amount of time, you're gonna pay this amount of money, but they don't tell you all of the other things you're gonna be denied, so access to housing, education, employment. Believing education would be her path to success, Sarita took college courses in prison. Upon release, she applied to the University of New Orleans. But on the application, she checked the box admitting she'd been convicted of a felony. Her application was denied. Two years later, she reapplied, but didn't check that box. She was admitted. After graduating cum laude from Louisiana State University, she couldn't stop thinking about the women that were being left behind. So, in 2016, she started working on solutions and founded one. Operation Restoration is an organization that was built by and for formerly incarcerated women to remove as many barriers as possible 
upon re-injury. Their 15 programs tackle everything from education, food and housing and security to child care. Along with running the organization, Sarita decided it was time to remove the barrier that had haunted her. The first step, helping write a bill banning colleges and universities from asking about criminal history on admissions applications. At the hearing, she described her journey. It was a, a committee full of men, white men specifically, who couldn't relate to my story. And they were asking me questions like, why do you feel like you deserve an education? The bill was shelved that day. When she went back, she took a white woman to testify. They cried, they gave her a standing ovation, and it was just like, hold your head up, you're gonna be somebody. It humbled me in a way where I was able to understand that this fight wasn't about me, that this legislation once it passed, it would affect black, white, purple, green, men, women, whomever. Why does it make you cry? Why are you sitting here literally sobbing? Because placing myself back in that moment brings back those feelings of people feeling like you're not worth it. But her efforts were. Louisiana Act 276 passed, and Sarita was standing behind the governor when he signed it into law. Then, on his last day in office, President Trump pardoned Sarita. It changed her life. Do you ever think about what, what you want your legacy to be? I just want to be known as somebody who saw a problem, showed up, fixed it, and affected millions of people while doing it. Next on Matter of Fact, what real estate investors see as opportunity can change a neighborhood. You could lose your friends. Um, sometimes people live in the same neighborhood as a close family member, so they could be losing members of their family. A look at the human cost of gentrification. And later, Puerto Rico gets a visit from the EPA to test for pollutants in the air and groundwater. This is the first time testing has ever happened. Why the residents say it's about time. You're watching Matter of Fact, America's number one nationally syndicated public affairs news magazine. Welcome back to Matter of Fact. Inflation is proving to be stubborn. It is triggering higher interest rates, which in turn are cooling the hot housing market. Right now, the average rate for a 30-year fixed mortgage sits at 7.08%. The highest rate was 18.63% back in October of 1981. The group most affected, first-time buyers, who now make up just 26% of mortgage seekers. That's the lowest share in 40 years. Just a few weeks ago, we reported on the barriers to home ownership in Milwaukee. There we met artist and gallery owner Fatima Laster, who's fighting gentrification through her work and in her neighborhood. She describes her activism in her own words. I closed on a duplex immediately to the north of the gallery because I love my neighbors. I get along with them. Someone who's trying to flip it after two years of ownership and making no changes to the property for their betterment. When I found out, I went to my neighbors first and asked them if they were able to buy in and interested in buying in. They said it's not possible. And I said, would you be interested in me trying to buy it because I would like to keep you as a neighbor? And they said, yeah, we're rooting for you. 
there are a lot of people complicit with the changing of the, the neighborhoods. It's outside investors, corporate investors who can dangle cash um, to, you know, financially distressed and vulnerable peoples and group. But then you will have like philanthropy companies who claim that they're trying to do good or offset inequities for people of color, but then they become developers too and try to control the neighborhood. The Five Points Art Gallery space is literally providing opportunities and platform and a legitimate art space for artists of color primarily. And as far as gentrification, we have signs on the door. It's not welcome here. Um, we are not selling. Nothing is for sale besides the art here. The building is not for sale. The culture is not for sale. The displacement welcome mat was like an aha, we see you, back at you response to like these outside investors and developers inciting the gentrification in the neighborhood and polluting our neighborhood with these cash for home signs. My neighborhood association and I started cutting down these signs and so we compiled like a couple hundred and we made the runner or the mat. I hope that the work that I'm doing will not get blocked. I know that the change can happen with organic activities and activism, but you know, big money wants to keep their big money. There is a lot of um, profit in keeping people poor and keeping people renters. I hope they see possibility with our actions. Lance Freeman is a scholar of urban housing and gentrification. He's a professor of city and regional planning and sociology at the University of Pennsylvania. Professor Freeman, thank you for talking with me. So the woman in that piece, Fatima Laster, wanted to reclaim and preserve her neighborhood for the people who are living there. So I'd like you to walk us through what are the forces that she's fighting against when it comes to gentrification? Quite often what's happening is what we're seeing is a tension between uh, home, community, um, the sentimental values that people attach to where they live, and market forces. Gentrification is oftentimes associated with increased investment. And with that, that could create changes in housing prices, changes in uh, the retail landscape. And that can clash with the sentimental values, the sense of community that people attach to their places. I think it's really true how outsiders, when they come into communities that are being gentrified, they, they talk about all that's being gained. Talk about a little bit more about what's lost. It could mean a loss of relationships. You could lose your friends. Sometimes people live in the same neighborhood as a close family members, so they could be losing members of their family. Could be a local church, for example. If many of the congregation move away from a neighborhood, the church itself might not be able to survive. I always wonder, can you have the good things without sort of displacing all the people, you know, who have to leave and can't get the benefit of those of those good things? I think you need to put in place mechanisms that allow, say, for example, low-income households to continue to move into a gentrifying neighborhood. That could be done, for example, through inclusionary zoning, whereby new housing that is built uh, includes both market-rate housing, but then also an affordable housing component. You can also do things like affordable home ownership programs. This gives low-income and moderate-income households an opportunity to acquire a stake in the neighborhood so that as property values rise, as wealth is created, people who live in the community have an opportunity to take advantage of that. Professor Lance Freeman, so nice to talk to you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
Ahead on Matter of Fact, meet an entrepreneur focused on producing the stories of Latinos for the silver screen. I want them to be visible. We pay a visit to the growing film industry in the Hollywood of the South. And still ahead, move over, Beethoven. There are thousands of female classical music composers. How one woman is working to make sure their music gets a fair play. Atlanta is known as the Hollywood of the South. The Georgia Film Office says the film and television industry spent more than $4 billion across the entire state between July 21 and June of 22. That's a new industry record. With new film incentives coming from Georgia, even more creatives are heading south to make their mark in entertainment. Our correspondent, Laura Chavez, went to Rome, Georgia, to meet one woman who's looking to elevate Latino and Hispanic stories one production at a time. Like I say, homegrown in Rome. About 70 miles northwest of Atlanta, in the small city of Rome, Georgia, big things are happening. When I came in here, I said, this is where I'm gonna put Pam Studios. Maria Gierstol's resume says she's an award-winning architect, but in Rome, she's building something else. Welcome to Rome, Pam Studios. I love it, let's go take a look. All right. Maria is in the process of designing a film production campus to bring Latino-inspired stories to the screen. We can cast anybody, but when somebody's behind the camera or writes the script or does the directing or the editing, uh, this is the way where we can really create the story. How do you want Latinos to be seen? Talented, taken seriously. They're accountable, you know? They're always there but they're invisible and I want them to be visible. The idea for the film company came to Maria after a life-changing opportunity. I meet Tyler Perry and I get to become his architect and we made history because we created these amazing buildings. We thought if he can do it with his community, I said to myself, um, we can do it, let's try um, and create something very similar a proud Latina, Maria was born in Venezuela. She and her family moved back and forth from South America to the U.S. I was very lucky to have done that because I embraced all cultures, starting in New York City, which was a melting pot, and then going back to Venezuela. She says the time in both places helped shape her from the little girl who liked to perform. And here I am, dressed up for the Glee Club. To the woman she is today, and it helped her navigate more than a few bumps along the way. I come to this country to study architecture, and I did. It was very hard because I found myself in a male-dominated field. I even had a teacher telling me that I should study interior design because architecture for men. But Maria didn't listen. I don't see obstacles as something that is gonna put me in the position where I can't go on. It just does the opposite to me. Tell me about some of the stories that you're hoping to tell. Uh, anything that is positive for our community with some of these lifestyle shows that we're planning on doing. Some of those shows would include Celebrations, a show about the exploration of food and culture. It makes me so happy to have you guys around my table. The making of the band Jet Black Roses, a documentary style music show. Hola Latino America, somos Jet Black Roses and she's still looking for more. While developing and pitching these shows is top of mind for Maria, 
so is providing opportunities for minorities and women. Pam will create a halo effect, will boost the town, will create jobs. I believe as soon as we open up a campus, we'll put 25 people to work immediately. How do you feel about all that you've done? I want to make it clear for women that if you dream of something, just go and do it. There's still a lot of work to be done. I almost feel like you don't get the magnitude of what you're doing I sometimes. Don't. I don't get the magnitude. I feel um, this is the place where I'm supposed to be, and this is, it feels good. In Rome, Georgia, I'm Laura Chavez for Matter of Fact. Coming up on Matter of Fact, Puerto Rico is still recovering from a series of devastating hurricanes. What's being done to ensure groundwater safety after record-breaking flooding? To stay up to date with Matter of Fact, sign up for our newsletter at matteroffact.tv. Hurricane season will be over at the end of the month, but in many places, the cleanup for regions hard hit by storms this year is just getting underway. We've seen parts of Florida hit multiple times, getting assistance from the federal government to rebuild. For Puerto Rico, that help has been hard to come by, but things might be changing. Earlier this month, the Environmental Protection Agency announced plans to test the air and groundwater on the southwest part of the island. This is the first time testing has ever happened, even though residents have been complaining for years about pollution. There are fears that the contamination has gotten worse since Hurricane Fiona caused record flooding back in September. The EPA will test the air and drinking water wells near a power plant that has buried residues from coal combustion. And the EPA will check to see if Fiona damaged any landfills on the island. Many are over capacity, violating federal laws. Next on Matter of Fact, Mozart, Bach, Beethoven, the classical masters. But can you name a famous female composer? How some new recordings could rewrite music history. a story about music lost and then found. There are thousands of female classical music composers from the 15th century and before to the present day. But most of us probably couldn't name a single one. French cellist Eloise Luzetti was stunned that in her three decade career, she'd never played anything by a female composer, which is shocking. A UK nonprofit found in the last classical concert season, less than 8% of performed works were written by women. So Lizetti did something about it. She launched a French music label, which in English translates to the jewelry box. It finds and records forgotten works by female composers. Their first release is a three CD set of Charlotte Sohi's music. As Luzetti says, we don't want to rewrite the story of the music. We want to add the women who count in the story. That's the kind of mission I like. That's it for this edition of Matter of Fact. I'm Soledad O'Brien, and we will see you back here next week. Listen to Matter of Fact with Soledad O'Brien on your favorite podcast provider. Watch us during the week on FYI and YouTube.